Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello and welcome back to Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas out to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Cotton harvested in the Texas High Plains this year turned out pretty well. There just wasn't much of it. I'm James Hunt and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. In the coming months, there will be a new vaccine to help prevent pneumonia in cattle. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories, plus the latest news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. As reports come in from farmers and jenners, this year's cotton season in the Texas High Plains is turning out to be just what we thought it would be. Pretty disappointing. James Hunt reports from Amarillo. With roughly half of all planted acres in the region lost to drought early on, it was always a given that production would be way down. Still, the cotton that did manage to get above ground and make it through the spring was looking pretty promising, until that extremely premature cold spell hit the area in early September, sending temperatures down into the 30s and apparently taking a big toll on development. Just practically everyone we talked to were disappointed in their yields and they felt like that, you know, they were off from anywhere 10 to 20 percent of what they thought going into harvest they would be. Steve Verrett, a Plains cotton grower, says it looks like this year's Texas High Plains cotton will come in at around 2 million bales, a little more than half of what would be considered normal. However, here's a positive note. Many farmers who did make a harvest were paid premiums because it turned out pretty well. It's one of the best quality crops we've had in several years, both from color, leaf grade, the staple length, and micronaires all great. In Amarillo, James Hunt for the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Texas Agriculture Commissioner Sid Miller has contracted the coronavirus. Miller made the announcement Wednesday evening on his social media channels, saying he'll be quarantining at his ranch. Miller says he's not feeling his best, but he's survived rodeo injuries, broken bones, hip, knee, and shoulder surgeries, West Nile virus, and cancer. So he feels very confident that he can beat COVID-19, too. Cotton harvest is wrapping up here in Texas. Tom Nicoletti talks with a Lubbock area farmer about harvest progress and conditions on the Southern Plains. According to the U.S. Department of Agriculture's latest National Agricultural Statistics Service report, the Crop Progress Report for uh, cotton at this point uh, in uh, early December shows that harvested acres uh, uh, at about 82% statewide uh, cotton condition uh, statewide shows that uh, 33% is fair, 25% poor, 21% very poor. Uh, on the other uh, flip side, uh, excellent 5% and good 6%. For more on the cotton crop on the South Plains of Texas, we go to Eddie Griffiths in Lubbock. And Eddie, how is the cotton harvest uh, doing at this point? Uh, should be uh, close to wrapping up? Yes, yeah, so I think, you know, probably 
for the first time maybe ever, Tom, we're going to be looking at all of this crop being out before the Christmas holiday. And generally, we can't say that in West Texas. And I know a lot of producers will be happy to be done by the holiday, but it's usually better when they're done right at Christmas or just a little after because that means they they had pretty good cotton crop out there. But for the crop as a whole, I mean, the grain, the cotton, everything, it should be wrapping up. You know, I believe the uh, USDA report was saying what was around 80% harvested across the state. And I would say in my area, we're probably at 90, 95%, with about 5% of that crop left out in the field. And the gins, I mean, it, it, it's probably going to push some of them to be done by Christmas time. I believe the last report that I I made the, uh, I talked about they could be done by Christmas, and I still think that there's a good chance that most of these gins will wrap up by Christmas time and be able to shut those down. And again, the gins usually like to see themselves running till sometime after the first of the year because that means a pretty big crop, and that's what we need in West Texas as far as the the economy is concerned, but we'll finish this one up and get ready and, and start another crop. The, the wheat crop in the area, we've had pretty limited moisture. I mean, I think your drought across the state will definitely show West Texas be a big part of that. We're, we're lacking moisture, and especially for this wheat crop and to get a lot of the uh, field work done that we need in preparation for the 2021 crops. We need some moisture to help out with that. Yes, the latest the latest uh, Texas drought monitor shows uh, West Texas uh, pretty much in an exceptional uh, and uh, extreme drought conditions. So you folks certainly need some type of precipitation, whether it be rain or snowfall. That report from Eddie Griffiths uh, in Lubbock. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. There's a new intranasal vaccine to protect beef and dairy cattle from pneumonia. Jessica Domel has more. Earlier this year, Merck Animal Health released a new vaccine to help cattlemen and women prevent pneumonia in their herds. Chris Thompson, Merck Animal Health's technical services veterinarian, joins us to discuss Nasal Gen 3. So Nasal Gen 3 was introduced to the market last February, and it is an intranasal vaccine that contains three of the most common viruses that are involved in the bovine respiratory disease complex, and those are IBR, BRSV, and PI3. It comes in two different vials, a liquid and a cake. You mix them together and it gets squirted up the nose. It is labeled for all cattle seven days of age or older, beef, dairy. It's safe in pregnant cows even. So it's, it's got a pretty broad audience of who it can be used in. Merck Animal Health says administering intranasal vaccines to neonatal calves is considered one of the most effective strategies to put protective immunity in place quickly and establish a strong foundation for future respiratory protection. Bovine respiratory disease costs the industry between two and three billion dollars a year. And when a calf is born, it gets colostrum and that gives it initial protection from disease. That protection from a colostrum starts going away quickly. They lose about half of that protection every three to four weeks. Traditionally, we've used a lot of injectable vaccines. And we know that when we give those early in life, when that colostrum's on board, a lot of the vaccine response is blocked. 
So what we found through research is that by using an intranasal route, we can get around that colostrum and stimulate that calf's young immune system to start producing antibodies and protection at a very young age. As we have transitioned our management in cattle to being what I would call more intensive, we tend to put more disease pressure on calves at a younger age. By using these intranasal vaccines at a very young age, we're able to stimulate good protection even in a young calf. Nasalgen 3 PMH, the new iteration of Nasalgen 3, is the only intranasal vaccine that protects beef and dairy cattle from the five most common pneumonia-causing viral and bacterial pathogens. So we've taken that base three-way nasalgen product and added two of the main bacteria that are involved in the respiratory disease complex, which are Mannheimia hemolytica and Pasteurella multacida. So that just gives us more broad-spectrum protection against pneumonia. And that one should be available on the market sometime in the first quarter of 2021. Thompson says protecting against respiratory disease and these pathogens is very important. Cattle have a very small volume of lung compared to their body size. When they get infected, they can get sick very, very quickly. It's going to slow down their growth. They're not going to be nearly as efficient in their growth. And treatment is expensive as well. So anything we can do to prevent disease is going to be a big benefit. Today's comments were from Chris Thompson, Merck Animal Health's Technical Services Veterinarian. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dommel. As 2020 draws to a close, the United States is busy working to improve things on the trade front for American farmers. Chad Smith reports from Washington. A lot of the talk in agriculture this year surrounds Chinese agriculture purchases under the Phase 1 trade agreement with the U.S. Dave Salmonson is the Senior Director of Congressional Relations with the American Farm Bureau. He says after a slow start to the year, China really began buying larger quantities of U.S. goods in the fall. If you add the product that's been shipped and that contracted for sale, we're about $27 billion worth overall to China. China has implemented about 50 of the 57 individual standards commitments they made in the agreement, lowers barriers for U.S. exports of beef and pork and poultry, dairy products, horticultural products, and really sets us up going forward. Meanwhile, the U.S. is busy negotiating a free trade agreement with the United Kingdom. Salmonson says the deal needs to get done by early next year when Trade Promotion Authority is set to expire in 2021. TPA gives trade agreements special priority once they get to Congress. It will be an up or down vote without amendments, but these provisions run out on July 1st of 2021. For an agreement to go to Congress and get this kind of treatment, it has to go up there 90 days before July 1st, so there's an effective deadline of April 1st. Now the negotiators on both sides are working on a lot of different issues. There's about 29 chapters to this trade agreement, but for agriculture, the two main ones, of course, are dealing with tariff and standards. The U.S. Trade Representative's Office announced it's looking into whether Canada is using tariff rate quotas to limit U.S. access to its dairy markets. You get a certain amount of product in at zero tariff. If you try to sell more than the certain amount, then the high Canadian tariffs would kick in. Our USDR thinks that certain actions by the Canadian government and administration of these quotas are favoring Canadian firms, are blocking access to U.S. farmers trying to export into that Canadian market. And so the USDR is starting an action to make sure that Canada lives up to what it agreed to. Chad Smith, Washington. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is accepting comments on two proposals relating to the Dunes sagebrush lizard. I'm Jessica Dommel, and I'll explain on Texas Ag Today. 
and scours is a major cause of sickness and death in young calves, but vaccination can help if done correctly. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that subject coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. After my first car accident, I feared the biggest damage would be to my wallet. I expected a mountain of bills and a long, drawn-out process. But my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent was there when I needed her and helped me get back on my feet and in my car in no time. Instead of a hassle, I got reassurance and a quick recovery. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an agent who's there when you need them most. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Scours is a major cause of sickness and death in young calves, but you can prevent it with vaccination if you do it correctly. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has some advice. And many cattle producers vaccinate their pregnant cows with the Scours vaccine in hopes this immunity will be transferred to the calf in the colostrum or first milk. Unfortunately, it appears that the incidence of scours has not decreased over the last 20 years. A survey was performed representing 100 dairies and over 77,000 cows, and results indicated that 80% of the dairies did not follow direction on the label of the vaccine. According to the study, 40% of farmers do not vaccinate first calf heifers, and of the heifers that were vaccinated, only one-third received a second required dose of vaccines. Vaccines that are labeled to require two doses must receive the second dose for protection, as without the booster, little to no protection is provided. Also, an annual booster is required, and the study shows that 25% of the cows did not get the annual booster. Another concern with Scour's vaccine is the timing of giving it to the cows. Pre-calving Scour vaccines are only effective if given during the time outlined on the label. And the survey indicated that almost two-thirds of the farmers gave the second dose of vaccine outside the timing period required on the label. To know when to give the vaccine, you have to have a good idea of the calving date. And if this is unknown, as it was in many cases in this study, the vaccine will not be effective. Because of the difficulty in timing on using this vaccine, Dr. Chris Chase from South Dakota State indicated he is researching preformed antibodies to immunize calves against scours. Until that is available, scours vaccine given according to the label is effective. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is accepting comments on two proposals relating to the Dunes sagebrush lizard. Jessica Domel explains in today's Wildlife Report. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is now accepting comments on an enhancement of survival permit application and a draft environmental assessment for the dunes sagebrush lizard. The dunes sagebrush lizard is a rare species found only in the Permian Basin in West Texas and in southeastern New Mexico. It was first a candidate for Endangered Species Act protections in 2001. One of the documents up for review is the Enhancement of Survival Permit application. Enhancement of Survival Permit may be issued to non-federal landowners with Candidate Conservation Agreement with Assurances, or CCAA. The permits would cover the incidental take of the dunes sagebrush lizard associated with oil and gas exploration and development, sand mining, agricultural operations, and other actions within the CCAA area should the dunes sagebrush lizard become federally listed under the Endangered Species Act. 
FWS says the permit application proposed to authorize the development of more than 34,000 acres of suitable dunes sagebrush lizard habitat over the next several decades in the following counties, Andrews, Gaines, Crane, Ector, Ward, and Winkler. The agreements, according to FWS, encourage landowners to take actions to benefit the species while providing assurances to the landowners they will not be subject to additional regulatory restrictions for the life of the permit. The permit may be in effect for up to 23 years or until it expires, is surrendered, or revoked. The deadline to comment on regulations.gov is December 21st. Again, that is regulations.gov. Simply search Dunes Sagebrush Lizard. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. We ended the week with a big upswing in the cattle and wheat markets. We'll take a closer look at all of Friday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. know what to do if you're stuck on the railroad crossing? Get out of your vehicle. If a train is not approaching, find the blue and white emergency notification system sign on the traffic signs at the crossing. For help, call the number on the sign and give them the crossing number so they know your location and can alert train traffic. Remember, find the blue and white to save your life. For more information, visit OLI.org. giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. The cattle market wrapped up the week on a very positive note on Friday. We saw cattle trade sharply higher throughout the day. We ended up closing higher as well with December live cattle up 82 cents, 108.75, February up a dollar 40, 113.25, April live cattle up a dollar 40, ending the week at 117.37. Feeder cattle finishing strongly higher, January up 212, 139.72. March feeders up $1.30, 140.55. April feeder cattle up $1.17, 141.90. Cash fed cattle trade, it was very slow and erratic throughout most of the week. We did see some early sales in the week at 108 here in Texas and up in Kansas. As you move north, prices got lower. Nebraska sold cattle at 107. Iowa sold cattle as low as 105 to 106. So a big range in prices and a two to four dollar drop overall in the fed cattle market. Boxed beef prices lower throughout the week. That may be one reason we saw pressure on fed cattle prices on Friday. Choice down 294 at 215.32. Select down 205 199.60. Let's check a few auction barns now. We'll start with the sheep market. San Angelo's Producers Livestock Auction sold 7,838 head of sheep and goats. Compared to the previous week, wooled feeder lambs were firm. Slaughter hair lambs, 10 to 15 higher. Slaughter ewes, 5 to 10 higher. Kid goats, 15 to 20 higher. The slaughter nannies, 130 to 206, mostly in the 160 to 180 range. Mature billies, 180 to 244. Wold feeder lambs, $1.92 to 346. Slaughter lambs, lighter weight ones, went for 230 to 370. The heavier weight slaughter lambs, 180 to 230. Slaughter ewes, 80 cents to $1.34. And kid goats, 240 to 368, mostly in the 325 to 370 range. 
Now let's go up to the Panhandle, Cattlemen's Livestock Auction, Dalhart, Texas, selling 2,684 head. Compared to the previous week, steer and heifer calves under 600 pounds were firm to $2 higher. Feeder steers and heifers over 600 pounds mostly steady. Medium and large frame number one feeder steers weighing three to 400 pounds brought $1.87 to 205 a pound. Four to five weight steers brought $1.56 to $1.89. Five to six hundred pounders, a dollar forty-eight to a dollar seventy-seven. Six to seven weight steers, a dollar twenty-seven to a dollar thirty-eight. Seven to eight hundred pounders, a dollar twenty to a dollar thirty-six a pound. Slaughter cows range from twenty-one to fifty-five cents. Back over to the futures market, where lean hogs close lower. December hogs down twelve, sixty-four, sixty-seven. The February down a dollar eighty-seven, sixty-three twenty-two. Class three milk was mixed on Friday. December milk up three cents, fifteen eighty-two. January down two cents, sixteen twenty-nine. A hundredweight. The cotton market saw a slight pullback on Friday. We had a great week, a very bullish week. Prices moved well up into the mid seventies. Had some profit-taking come into the market on Friday, and that pressured prices slightly lower. The March contract down 26 points, 74 cents even. May down 23, 75.51. December 21, cotton down 18 points, 72.31. We saw some follow-through buying in the wheat market following Thursday's big supply and demand report which reduced ending stocks thanks to strong wheat exports. Both hard and soft wheat seeing double-digit gains. July Kansas City wheat up 14 and a half, ending the week at 584 and three quarters. July Chicago wheat up 12 and a half, 607 and a half. The corn market closed the week on a higher note. December corn up four, 424 and a quarter. September corn up one and three quarters at 414 a bushel. In the energy markets, January natural gas up five at 260. January crude oil down 14 cents, 46.64 a barrel. The financial markets mixed. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 15 points at 30,015. The NASDAQ down 54, 12,350. The S&P 500 down eight, 3,659. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up another edition of Texas Ag Today. Thanks so much for joining us. Remember, we'll be right back here next time to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. Hope to see you then. I'm Kerry Martin, and this is Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or dfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.